7. Turn your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7. When you find your place, we'll stand. Acts chapter number 7. There's a story here of Stephen He's preaching to the council. He has, uh, he's in, ticked off the religious crowd. Stirred up all the people, chapter 6 and verse 12, and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and called him and brought him to the council. And uh, he stands up to speak, chapter 7, begins to preach, testify, speak, exhort, whatever you want to say. Get down to verse number 51. I'm only going to read this one verse for the sake of time. When Stephen says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. I want to preach for a little bit this evening on that thought, resisting the Holy Ghost. I preached last week on a despise not prophesying out of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 20. Similar, not the same, kissing cousins maybe. Interestingly enough, when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, despise not prophesying, because the very next verse says, quench not the Holy Spirit. Those two verses are together. Just kind of been on my mind and on my heart. This morning we preached on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a solution for a lot of problems, amen? Uh, but I guess the, the other side of the coin is resisting the Holy Ghost. And so uh, tonight I want to take uh, just some little thoughts and nuggets out of this chapter. Hopefully it would be a help and a reminder to the people of God as we look at resisting the Holy Ghost. Father, help us now as we turn our hearts to the Word of God. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to glean truth. Lord, I pray that uh, God's people would leave here tonight with a greater soberness and awareness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and our responsibility, Father, to heed and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. Uh, as I was reading this chapter, or just re-familiarizing re myself with the story of Stephen, he is uh, mentioned to us in chapter 6, and uh, the Bible tells us they was having some murmuring in the church, and uh, well, the Lord led the leadership of the church there uh, to look out among them, chapter 6, verse 3, seven men of honest report, and uh, to put them over this business of seeing about the widows that were being neglected in the daily ministration, according to chapter 6, verse number 1. And, and they prayed about it, and Stephen was one of the seven that was chosen, that was picked, and the reason why I want to take just a few minutes by way of introduction and just look a little bit at Stephen because Stephen's the one in verse 51 making this, this serious statement about resisting the Holy Ghost. And I guess if some people said that, they may or may not know what they're talking about, but I want to make the argument tonight that Stephen was fully qualified to make this statement. He was fully qualified to make this sobering accusation of these people. I want to give you a couple things by way of introduction tonight. First of all, about Stephen, we notice that he was holy in his example. As I just mentioned, the 12 were called. Uh, they called the multitude of the disciples in chapter 6, verse 2 unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, looking out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. 
And as we begin to read chapter 6 and chapter 7, there's at least four or five times that we are told in one way or another that Stephen was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost. Now he's fully qualified to say, tell somebody that they're resisting the Holy Ghost because he had a relationship with the Holy Ghost. He was filled with the Holy Ghost as we preached about a little bit this morning. You'll notice in chapter number three, look you out among you seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. What about that? Look down at verse number eight. The Bible says, and Stephen, full of faith and power. Obviously, that's an indication of his relationship, his filling with the Holy Spirit. If he was full of faith and power, it's another testimony to his walk with God. Look at verse number 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Why? Because he was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You get over to chapter number seven, the Bible tells us again in verse number 55, without any uh, questions or confusion whatsoever, that Stephen all the way to his dying minute, the Bible says, being full of the Holy Ghost. And so we know that Stephen was holy in his example. He was, a, he was an exceptional Christian. Uh, the, the, the numbers vary in the thousands of how many made up this church at the beginning of Acts chapter number six. Thousands and thousands of people had been saved, 3,000 in chapter two, another 5,000 in chapter four, and the church was just growing and exploding. Uh, people getting saved left and right, and we get to chapter number six, this church is just busting at the seams, and they picked out seven men. Stephen was one of them. The Bible says, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Look at the last verse in chapter number six as he's standing before this council. The Bible says all that sat in the council in chapter six, verse 15, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. What about that? What a statement to be made about a man. He was holy in his example. Secondly, we see he was honest in his exposition. As you start reading chapter number seven, verse number one, all the way down uh, to verse number 40, 53, I think it is, but his message is ended. 53 verses, it take average person seven, eight, nine minutes to read the message that Stephen preached, and yet his summary of Israel's history was dead on. He knew his history. He knew the history of the nation of Israel and the people, and he started reminding them all the way back in verse number uh, verse number two, I mean, he went back as far as he could, Father Abraham, how that God came to him and told him to go to another country. And he just went to, started proceeding down through the history of Israel, hitting the high parts and the patriarchs and talked about Joseph and Jacob and, and Moses and all of these saints. And he got down all the way and to the, to brought them all the way up to the Lord Jesus Christ in verse number 52. He referred to him as that, uh, the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. That was a pretty uh, thorough and concise uh, history, condensed history of the nation of Israel from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. He pretty much dotted all of his I's and crossed his T's. And, and uh, I just wanted to mention that because that's gonna come into play here in just a few minutes later on in the message, but he was honest 
in his exposition. And then I was reading that chapter seven again and begin just noticing how many different books of the Bible he quoted and how many uh, passages of scripture and, and different uh, authors in the, the, the Bible that he quoted, Exodus and Amos and Isaiah and just on and on and on. He knew his Bible, he knew the history of the people of God. I think it's important that we know the history of the people of God as well, amen. He was honest in his exposition. Thirdly, we see he was harsh in his exposure. Verse number 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That's pretty straightforward. Apparently he had not read Joel Osteen's book on how to grow a big church because <laughs> that's not how you do it. Calling them stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. My goodness. That's exactly what they were. It's pretty harsh. Let me just throw this out while I'm thinking about it. Never accuse a preacher of not being spiritual just because his message is stout. There's no question Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. He looked him into God-given eyeballs and said, you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard in ears. You think that's strong, go over to Matthew 23 and read some of the things Jesus called the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites and blind guides and he called them vipers and snakes and fools and my goodness, just the list goes on and on and nobody can question whether or not Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was harsh in his exposure. Number four, he was honored in his expiration. The Bible says that in verse number 55, well look at verse 54, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. My goodness, I've had some pretty strange responses to my preaching, but I've never had that happen yet. Of course, I do try to stay up here away from all of y'all while I'm a preaching, just in case. But this is a bad situation. And look what happened in verse number 55. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What about that? A standing ovation. My goodness. As he's, as he's getting ready to die, God just peeled back heaven and kind of rolled out the red carpet. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a statement. They cried out with a loud voice, verse 57, stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. We know that to be later the Apostle Paul was there witnessing and endorsing and condoning this behavior. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a testimony, my goodness. He was honored in his expiration. I don't know that we can say too many people in the Bible saw heaven opened before they died. That's pretty, that's pretty unusual. Heaven was opened. He saw Jesus. The Bible tells us that he ever, he sits at the right hand of God and he ever lived to make intercession for us. But Jesus stood up when he seen Stephen come and he stood up. I heard one preacher say, he might have even saluted old Stephen. said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I get tickled sometimes when I read the Bible at just the way God does some of the saints of God. He allowed, he allowed Paul, he allowed Paul before he died to know what crown he was gonna get. 
That's something we don't know till we get there. But he said, there's a crown of righteousness, there's a crown of life uh, waiting for me for all those that love his appearing. I believe I, I'm, I'm not misquoting that. And, uh, and I fought a good fight, I finished my course and kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also love his appearing. He knew before he died he was going to get the crown of righteousness. I love how God just kind of let him know that. Let him put that in the scripture. And Stephen, before he died, saw heaven open and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. A reason why I wanted to just kind of back up and give you that is because I believe Stephen was qualified to look at this crowd and say, you're resisting the Holy Ghost. This wasn't just something, something that, that a preacher would throw into a message for shock value or just for effect. I believe he was qualified to, to make the statement. Well, I begin to think about it. I begin to think about the, the power of the statement and in the, in the, just the seriousness of that statement, really. He accused the people of resisting the Holy Ghost. That word resist means to run against, to be adverse, to oppose, or to strive against. You're literally fighting against the Holy Spirit of God is what he was accusing them of. When we see that word resist, we kind of get the stiff arm, the football player running down the field, kind of resisting, giving the old stiff arm, amen. But, but as I'm reading these verses, I, we know that it is possible for a child of God to quench the Holy Ghost. We know that. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, I just referred to it a moment ago. It says, quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. He's writing to the believers. He's writing to the church. Quench not the spirit. That word quench means to suppress, to stifle, or to extinguish is what it means. I remember hearing this verse. I've heard this verse quoted since I was a little bitty boy. Dr. Brother Sammy used to quote it just about every service. Be careful, don't you? I think he used to say quince. We knew what he was talking about. Quince, quince, quince the Holy Ghost. Boy, he said, you better be careful. You quench the Holy Spirit. I'd hate to be guilty of suppressing, stifling, extinguishing the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in a service. I mean, considering how few churches even have the Holy Spirit moving. <laughs> you go to some places and he's not moving. He's not showed up. His power's not there. Ichabod's over the door. His glory's departed. And yet, many times, if we're not careful, the child of God can be guilty of being in the service and the Holy Spirit of God is working and moving and we can quench the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. What a, what a sin. Not only can we quench the Holy Ghost, but we know it's possible according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 to grieve the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We like that last half of that verse talking about being sealed. Praise the Lord, I'm sealed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. First half of that verse says, Don't grieve the Holy Ghost. He's talking to saved people. Saved people can quench the Holy Spirit. Saved people can grieve the Holy Spirit. But to resist the Holy Ghost, my goodness. Fight against, go against and oppose. Put yourself in a situation to be an adversary of the Holy Ghost. That's pretty strong. I don't know about you, but um, I don't want to be guilty of that. This morning preached about being filled with the Spirit, yielding yourselves to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, allowing God to direct and dictate every action and every response and every decision, letting the Holy Spirit be so real in your life that you're walking in the Spirit and you don't walk in the flesh, you don't fulfill the flesh. The absolute opposite of that would probably be resisting the Holy Ghost. 
Why though did he say that to them? And what was it that they did that made him say that to them? So I took, I took the story and I'm just gonna give you four things that I believe they did that caused him to say that to them. Of course, they didn't like it. They killed him for it. They killed him for his, uh, for his statement, for his message. But truth of the matter is, it's a very sobering thing to be guilty of resisting the Holy Ghost. Four things that I believe they did that caused Stephen to say that to them. Number one, they disregarded God's providence in their life. Now just stay with me just a second. You have to back up all the way to the beginning of his message in chapter number seven. Again, Stephen gives a condensed but a very accurate summary of the nation of Israel hitting the highlights enough to paint a picture but one thing was evident throughout his entire message, and that is God had been working in a mighty way in their past to bring them to the place where they were right then. And they didn't see that. They missed that. I know this is not deep preaching, but where you are tonight, God has been working through a series of of, of, of circumstances and events to bring you to this place. And it would, be a, it would be a sin and it would be a resisting the moving and working of the Holy Ghost to not understand that. God has been working in your life. He was working before you got here. We get way out in the weeds and talk about how your mom and daddy met and how and where you was born and where you went to school and, and all of this. But all of this is coming together for God to bring you where you are right now. And that's what Stephen's telling them. Look, look, look at what it says in verse number four. And came he, talking about Abraham, came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt at Charon. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. He's, he says, the land you're in right now and the fact that you're here living on this land and occupying this country is not an accident. God has been, by design, putting all this together. And they completely missed it. One of the things that I have learned about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God is recognizing His sovereign working in my life from the time I was born. A lot of people don't think about it for two seconds. That's a mistake. And I'm thankful for God working in my life. I'm thankful I am where I am today because God has been positioning things in my life and circumstances and events to bring me here and to put me here. I'm talking about me here at Calvary Baptist Church in Dundalk, Maryland. And it was God that did that because this was the last place I would have picked. Well, maybe not the last, but it would have been on down the list of ways. I mean, I, I never in my wildest dream thought I would be here. But God, just like moving chess pieces around on the board, has manipulated events in my life. And because I was yielded to his Holy Spirit, I'm here. These people were standing in the street and they were, they were chewing on a man for telling them, you're here because God had a plan way back then. 
one of the biggest mistakes people make is they're so self-centered and so self-sufficient, so self-absorbed that they completely disregard the role that God has played in their very existence. God had been working in their country. He had been working in the lives of their forefathers. They had been the recipients of God's unmistakable, undivided attention, and they were oblivious to that. They were ungrateful for all that he had done in their history to bring them to this place. I remember hearing preachers used to say this when I was younger, and I didn't quite understand it. Brother Stenet Ballou, every time he prayed, I believe he said this, thank you, God, for letting me be born in America. Every time he prayed. Brother Tim, you've heard him a thousand times. Every time that man ever prayed in public, he thanked God, he thanked Jesus for dying on the cross. He thanked, he thanked God for salvation. Thank you for letting me be born in America. Why would you say that? Think about that for just a second. <laughs> and they were, they were, they were the, the children of Israel. They were the, the apple of God's eye. Out of all the nations in the world, God had handpicked them and chose them, not because of who they are, but that's just because what God decided to do. Here they are fighting him, resisting him. Stephen is trying to paint this picture from the beginning of the chapter all the way through. They seriously disregarded God's providence in their life. We hear this phrase, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. But one for God, you couldn't get out of bed in the morning. God's working and God's moving. Even unsaved people, God works and moves in their life. It rains on the just and the unjust. I think one of the reasons why Stephen said that so dogmatically, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, is because they had disregarded God's providence in their lives. Secondly, he said that because they denied God's promptings, God had been already speaking and working and moving. Incidentally, in this very story, the Bible says at verse number 58, they cast their coats, laid their coats down at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul standing there, they threw their coats at his feet and though he may not have thrown any stones, he had the authority to stop it. He, cho he chose to stand there and by doing nothing, condone the stoning of this great man what do you think Jesus was talking about later on on the road to Damascus when he says to Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks? What was he talking about? He said, I've been poking and prodding and I've been backing you up in the corner and through circumstances and events, I have already been working on you and drawing on you and prompting you and you're fighting me nonstop and it's getting hard for you to kick against the pricks. I believe that if it didn't start before verse 58, it definitely started in this story where there's coach piled up at the feet of Saul and he watches this man say, man, the heavens are open and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he's praying for them, let not the sin be laid to their charge as he fell asleep and faced like an angel. That would get my attention. And God had already been working on these people. He had already, I mean, if you go back and you read the previous chapters, people were getting saved by the thousands. They were not oblivious to that. They knew about that. There's one place they said in, in the book of Acts, said this wasn't done in a corner. <laughs> he said, you know. Everybody's heard. 
A man doesn't get crucified and get buried and rise again the third day and he's seen by upwards of 500 people ascend up into heaven and nobody know about it. And of course, fake news, CNN was trying to spin it. Said his disciples came and stole away his body, but too many people saw it. And even saw, from all indications, saw the resurrected Lord before he got saved. We're talking about God's promptings. Wow. What's it going to take? The Bible tells us that they were, they were, um, he said, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is working. He's drawing. He's speaking. And you're fighting him. They denied God's promise. I would hate for that to be said about me. But that's how I am, that I fight and resist the Holy Ghost. God's drawing. God's pulling. One of the most, one of the most disappointing things as a pastor is both when I'm preaching or if I'm sitting here and we have a guest preacher and they're preaching a message and I'm thinking to myself, that is exactly what our church needs to hear right now at this point in time. Only to watch when the invitation's given, that person just sit there and not move. I'm thinking, wow, what would it take? What would it take to get them to move? What would it take for them to, to, to humble themselves? What would it take for them to break Swallow their pride and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. What would it take? Someone that's continually denying God's promptings. By the way, if God's prompting you, you ought to thank God for it. Verse 54 says, they were cut to the heart when they heard these words. That's conviction. That's what that is. They were cut to the heart when they heard these words. What cut them? Word of God, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and into the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He was quoting scripture. Old Stephen was quoting scripture, and every time he quoted an Old Testament passage, it was like a dagger went in their heart. It cut them to the heart. That's called conviction. The best thing you can do when you get convicted is repent and get right. They didn't do that. Why? They were resisting the Holy Ghost. God was working on them, but they denied him the freedom to have his way. This story could have turned out completely different. After he gets done preaching 53 verses, it could, it could have said in verse 54, and when they heard these things, they believed on him and many were saved. It had already happened in chapter two, happened in chapter four. What, what happened? These people were resisting the Holy Ghost. Stephen had heard and seen many people receive him and accept him and had seen people rejecting him and resist him and they were resisting him. By the way, a preacher generally knows. It's on your face, body language. They denied God's promptings. Number three, why would he say that to them? Why would he accuse them of resisting the Holy Ghost? Because number three, they dishonored God's prophets. Look at what he said in verse number 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And have, they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. 
He said in verse 51, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. You're just like your father. And they persecuted the prophets. Stephen said it runs in the family. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Think about that a minute. Which one of the prophets have not the nation of Israel at some point persecuted? I started making a mental list of all the prophets of the Old Testament and all the run-ins they had with the kings and with the people. Jeremiah, oh, that mine eyes were a fountain of tears, the weeping prophet. They put him in a pit of slime. My goodness, how do you do that to a man that's just trying to tell you what God said? put rags up under his arms and pulled him out. I mean, put him in a mud hole up to his armpits. The weeping prophet. On and on we could go. It didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter what their manner was. It didn't matter what their methods was. It didn't matter what their message was. The nation of Israel at some point persecuted them all. And let me say this to you tonight. To dishonor and to persecute the man that God has sent to preach to you is a terrible mistake and is an indication that you are resisting the Holy Ghost. Again, this is kissing cousins to the message I preached last week about despise not prophesying. But if you've been blessed for God to put a man of God in your path and in your life, you ought to thank God for it. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Not to the preacher necessarily, and it is, but more importantly, it's a terrible thing that's a slap in the face to God. For God to put a man in your life to preach to you, a prophet, a mouthpiece, an instrument. You go back and read those prophets. They didn't volunteer for that. Right. Right. A bunch of them didn't want it. Come on now. They didn't want it. Because they knew the track record Israel had towards prophets. What have I done to deserve this? God had come and handpicked them. And put them in a position to be the mouthpiece because God always has a man to tell the people what thus saith the Lord. So not so much to the preacher, to the prophet, but to God himself. What a slap in the face for God to be so good to put a man, a witness in your life only for you to ignore and to dishonor that prophet. But number four, why would he say you always resist the Holy Ghost? Because they disobeyed God's precepts. Let me show you this. Verse number 53, look at it. You've received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. You received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Back up a little bit further back in the chapter. Look at verse number 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him at the Mount Sinai and with our fathers, watch this, who received the lively oracles, living oracles, lively oracles to give unto us, verse 39, to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and their hearts turned back again unto Egypt, saying, make us gods to go. He said, you're just like them. God has blessed you out of all the nations in the world. God chose to give his law, his word, give insight into his character, his attributes, give us a window into his personality. 
He chose to deliver that to the nation of Israel in an unbelievable, miraculous way. God himself wrote it on stones and handed it to Moses. And Moses came down off the mountain and said, this is what God said. And you said, all the things that God has said, we will do, only to turn around and not do any of it. You say, preacher, how is not obeying God's precepts resisting the Holy Ghost? I'm so glad you asked me that. Because the holy precepts were given to us by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. According to 2 Peter chapter number one, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So to disobey the word of God, to resist the scriptures is the same thing as resisting the Holy Ghost that inspired the scriptures. And when you can sit and listen to preaching, when you can sit and hear what God said and, and put a stone up and, 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 and bolt the door and lock the door and put a deadbolt on the heart, uh, uh, door of your heart and walk out and say, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to submit to that. I'm not going to yield to that. I'm going to do what I want to do. You are, my friend, resisting the Holy Ghost. That's a terrible place to be. They had received the law. They had not kept it. Just like their forefathers. What, what an honor. I mean, the, the Ethiopian had to come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to get the Isaiah scroll. Did he not? And all these proselytes that was there in, in, in Acts chapter number 2 from all these different countries, 16 different nationalities, guess where they were? In Jerusalem. Why? Because what they were looking for was not where they came from. It wasn't there. They, had, they were looking for it in, at, 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 at Jerusalem. And here they are, they've got all this truth. All this truth. And they didn't value it. Well, I would hate to think I lived my life being one of the small percentages of the population of this planet that has access to the precepts of God only to disobey it. We've got missionaries in 103, 4, 104 countries. Missionaries. We're sending missionaries to these countries to do what? Stand up in front of people and tell them what God said. And pray that those people will receive it. How ironic would it be to put money in the plate, come on now, to send a missionary to a third world country only to turn right around and resist the Holy Ghost right here in your own church. It's pretty sobering. It's pretty sobering. I don't know exactly who this is for, but this is what God gave me for tonight. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can resist the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. When the Holy Spirit's good enough to give you light, walk in that light. When he rebukes you, say, I'm sorry, and fix it. When he gives you instruction, say, yes, sir, and do it. Heads bowed, eyes closed tonight. I wonder, as our musicians are coming, we've got two groups of people, two different groups of people responding to the Holy Spirit in two different ways in Acts chapter number seven. We've got a man that's full of the Holy Ghost, full of power, full of the Holy Ghost. And then we've got a group of people that are resisting the Holy Ghost. Which one of those two categories tonight, church, do you fall into? 
If we were looking for seven people tonight at Calvary Baptist Church that we could put our hand on and say, this person is of good report, full of the Holy Ghost, would your name be on the list?